0: just say we're worried about COVID, uh, it neglects a whole range of things and we know that there's been a, a, a huge upswing in mental health issues and we know sadly there's been suicides.
1: Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. Today I'm joined with a really fascinating guest here, was the former premier for the state of Queensland. He was also the Brisbane mayor for a number of years, and he's at the moment the lead Senate candidate for the Liberal Democratic Party in Queensland, and that is Campbell Newman. Thank you so much for joining me today, Campbell.
0: Hi, Evelyn. It's great to be with you on Cauldron Pools. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Did I get your, uh, I guess, your background and your history right? You were the premier of Queensland and also the mayor of Brisbane.
0: Yeah, look, basically, I'm very in a, in a nutshell, my career is this. I was in the army for 13 years. They trained me as a civil engineer. Uh, then I was a management consultant and uh, working for large Australian companies. I then worked for a big Queensland agribusiness running logistics, uh, the storage and handling of grain, uh, and operational silos you see in the country, uh, country around uh, regional parts of Queensland and some very, very big port facilities. Um, then I ran my own consulting business And along the way, I put my hand up to be the Lord Mayor of Brisbane because I wanted to build some serious road infrastructure, river crossings and the like. Uh, So I was the mayor, ended up being the mayor for seven years. And then um, I ended up being the Premier of Queensland for uh, the period 2012 to 2015. And since then, the last seven years, since I got hosed from office, um, I'm back in business and I work with technology companies And also run a funds management business for people who invest in commercial property.
1: Very fascinating background, incredibly uh, fascinating. And welcome back to sort of the political spectrum. Um, You've obviously been through a lot over the years. I'm sure you've seen a lot, you've seen a lot behind the scenes, Um, and you're probably privy to a lot of information that the general public aren't really privy to, which is part of the reason why I really wanted to talk to you on here, because I think at the moment in Australia, your everyday citizen like myself is quite confused by what's going on over here. I think the last couple of years have potentially exposed maybe a lot of issues and things that have been laying dormant in Australian politics for quite a long time. Um, And, you know, a lot of people have said that state premiers and these health officials um, are probably the most powerful people in the southern hemisphere right now. Um, And you have been in a position, obviously, you were the state premier of Queensland for a number of years, so I really kind of wanted to gauge your perspective on the last couple of years of Australian politics. You have been one of the few politicians who has actually spoken out against the handling of the pandemic, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, and I guess I really wanted to ask you, like, where have we gone wrong? You've come from the position where you get to call the shots, where you kind of get a look after the Australian people. You've spoken out against how it's been handled. So can you shed some light with The last couple of years, your opinion, your perspective, and yeah, what we're doing.
0: Well, look, the last couple of years have been absolutely appalling, Evelyn. And we've seen this country being ripped apart in so many ways. And the really scary thing is when families get ripped apart, husband against wife over maybe vaccination of kids or vaccine mandates, Uh, families not being able to sit down, extended families not being able to sit down at a barbecue uh, without an argument breaking out and and people being essentially victimized for their own choices about their lifestyle and the way their their health's going to be protected so that's 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 a that's an overall statement but we've also seen incredible curtailment of our freedoms mm-hmm. um, uh, surveillance that we never thought would ever happen uh, authoritarian um, actions by the police services particularly the Victorian police and uh, we've seen that uh, contrary to the way it's gone for probably, you know, the last 90 years, um, we've actually seen the state still do have some significant powers when it comes to the you know, handling of a pandemic. And, you know, I think the biggest problem is we got the politicians we voted for. Mm. And if there's, a, if there's a fault of all of us, I think we've, we've been too complacent about politics. We voted for, the people our families always voted for. We might have been a Labor voter or a Greens voter or a coalition voter, and we're just lined up to do that. And what's happened, Evelyn, is we've got some really um, uninspiring people. Uh, generally in our parliaments, we've got people who've never had a, a real job. They've never had uh, to run a business or make payroll and take risks. Um, and so on the Labor side, you've got former political staffers and union officials, But on the coalition side, you've got industry peak bodies and lobbyists, consultants, and again, ministerial staffers and people who want to be there for politics, people who love politics. They love the politics of politics, you know, the debate, the motion in the chamber, the media appearance. And they're not focused on getting things done. And they haven't suffered during the last two years. They've still had comfortable pay packets. They haven't lost a cent. Neither have the bureaucrats. And so they've imposed on our society all sorts of restrictions without pain, without suffering, Mm. that they've actually caused everyone else. So, you know, we're obviously going to go into this in more detail. But the final word I'd say is I never wanted to be involved in politics again. I need to be involved in politics again, like I need a hole in the head, but I couldn't stand by any longer and just sit on the sidelines. I feel I've got a responsibility to serve. I've got a responsibility to talk about these matters and actually offer people an alternative and actually try and argue against what's been done to us all. And it's only for that reason I'm you know, putting aside my business career for the moment to focus on this.
1: Now, when you were State Premier of Queensland, you obviously had to make decisions like sometimes pretty quickly and sometimes with little information you had to sort of act in the moment I guess for the benefit of uh the Australian people um and I guess back I I think March 2020 when this first hit our Australian shores I think uh you know we could allow a period of grace for governments and for officials and for health people to kind of figure out what was going on. Um, I think it's fair, you know, you give it a little bit of time. What if it was a really bad thing? We didn't know. We were getting so much propaganda from China, videos of people sort of foaming at the mouth and collapsing on streets. And that's what we were sort of dealt with. So I can understand a period of grace while we're figuring it out. But then Very quickly, we learned the beast. We learned what it was that we were actually dealing with over here. Now, if you were State Premier of Queensland again and you got to that particular point where you understood what COVID was, what we were dealing with, what is it that you would have actually done? Because it seems every single person, every single political power are following the same script mm-hmm. and that script is not working. So I just want to hear from your perspective what script you would have followed and, and what you would have done differently.
0: Okay. Well, look, I think you make a really good point. At the beginning, there was great uncertainty. And I guess, you know, all of us at that stage were entitled to be. Know, scared about that and the mm. politicians and bureaucrats would have been very worried as well about their responsibilities but that was sort of um, around January February of 2020 and but the first cracks in um, the whole response showed back then I mean you know I, I've got a uh, a daughter who lived in London with her husband and they made a decision to come back to Australia uh, right. we collected them from the airport I'd masked up by you know, you know, put them in the back of the car and, and took them to a quarantine hotel, et cetera. But, you know, I watched as people came in from international arrivals on that occasion and there was none of that going on. There were people hugging at the airport at, 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 and like the very beginning, the, the government and governments around the country failed to actually put in place uh, appropriate restrictions at that very moment. So they were very slow off the mark in some ways. And what I'm saying is they actually let the virus in or gave it a head of steam. But I think by the time you get to about April 2020, that's when um, you really started to see crazy, illogical, um, stupid things happening. So I could give some examples. Here in Queensland, you know, we had the chief health officer saying no to a, a flyover, four aeroplanes on Anzac Day over the Gold mm-hmm. Coast of Brisbane. She said no to that, but she allowed an Indigenous funeral to go ahead on cultural grounds in the city of Mackay in in North Queensland. Um, So you saw inconsistencies, you saw brutal sort of, you know, and and quite ruthless calls by government that weren't required. So just to cut to the chase, what would I have done? From about April, May uh, 2020, I'd have been saying to my chief health officer, thank you, I've got your advice, now I'm taking other people's advice, and we wouldn't have done a whole range of things that were then implemented. I would have wanted to keep the border open, for example. I would have kept the schools open. Uh, I would have um, really tried to get on with life as much as we could and focus on helping and protecting the vulnerable, the aged mm. and yeah. those with health, health issues. But if you then go forward... It, it, the crazy thing about this is they've got more restrictive, more draconian, as they've known more about it, but arguably mm. the situation's been proven to be more... I won't, benign's probably too strong a word, but, but it, there was less justification the more that we have seen for the things that they have done. Yeah, so yeah. I suppose you then get to about uh, July last year when I joined the Liberal Democrats. I'm no longer with the Liberal National Party. I left in disgust. And we then put down a policy, which is, you know, I'll just wave it for a sec here, it's the Freedom Manifesto, which is on the ldp.org.au mm-hmm. website. And we said, look, this is what should happen by Christmas. And we said, no more QR codes, uh, no, no masks unless people want to wear them themselves. The borders need to be open. The international borders need to be open. Uh, vaccines should be available to all, but a personal choice after advice yes. from their one's doctor and we get on with life and, yes, we protect the vulnerable. So that's been our position or plan from sort of essentially mid mid last year. So uh, I think you're fair to say at the beginning they didn't know. They probably can be forgiven for some of the things they did and the mistakes they made. But once you get the tail end of 2020 into 2021, you know, the, the, the yeah, stuff-ups – pile up into a mountain and the draconian authoritarian measures become unacceptable. I hope that all makes sense
1: yeah yeah and I did actually read that freedom manifesto and I think further on in the interview I wanted to ask you about a couple of points apart from COVID that was sort of mentioned in that that I found really interesting but just to sort of go back um, how you mentioned about if you know if you were the state premier what you would have said to the chief health officer and I found that really interesting because I think a lot of people don't understand the dynamic between a state premier and their chief health officer and I I guess the role and function of each of those is it the state premier that gets to make the final decision based on the advice or is it these health officers that are kind of making the final decisions
0: well i think one of the big concerns of this is that there's certain, and it depends Evelyn, from state to state the way the law works i mean different states right. all have different laws but you know some of the states essentially have said oh there's a state of emergency and, and, and in regard to a pandemic and therefore the chief health officer gets to make all these calls and i think what we've seen is that is a terrible abrogation of responsibility by premiers but yeah they've been very cute about it Evan, and they love being able to go well i'm following the science and the yeah. chief health officer makes the call because it's non-political but let's yeah, just yeah. examine for a sec. What, what again? What would I do? Well, if if Dr. Jeanette Young, who was the CHO in Queensland, was telling me to, to do the things that were done, I'd say, well, I'm not going to do that, because right. doc, I'd be saying, Dr. Young, you know, tell me what you think the impacts of uh, people on people's mental health will be. Uh, how do you weigh mm-hmm. up the loss of people's livelihoods? Now, often people, particularly from the left, go, oh, livelihood's making money. Well, hang on a second. You know, um, I'm sure Dr. Young would have had a greater focus on uh, what livelihood really means if every time she prolonged, um, Mm -hmm. say, uh, lockdowns and the like, she actually lost income. That focuses the line. I've had to deal with people in in the business that we run who thought they were losing everything. A husband who worked for Virgin Airlines, the wife who ran the gym, That was shut down and suddenly they had nothing and and these people were under incredible stress so to just say we're worried about COVID neglects a whole range of things and we know that there's been a a huge upswing in mental health issues and we know sadly there's been suicides and you know that's just that's just context that was missing and that's how the politicians should have played it with their CHOs, they should have taken advice, they had to weigh up, you know, very difficult decision making, but it shouldn't have just been about COVID, it should have been what else was happening. I mean, a, a very recent example was when these idiots, and they are idiots, you know, I, I hold them in contempt. PM and premiers came up with restrictions and rules back in sort of January this year, which meant the supermarket shelves suddenly started being stripped bare, because there were no direct drivers in the logistics companies. I mean, you know, that, that, that was ridiculous, you know, Mm. because they didn't have the uh, rapid antigen tests and uh, government doesn't have all the answers, Evelyn.
1: No, no. I I think a lot of people think of them as God and as mum and dad and expect them to have the answers for everything. And I think they act as though they do, but like you said, they, they certainly don't. Now, Talking about the border. Now, I think Queensland is a unique state uh, with New South Wales because you have a little area up the northern part of New South Wales called Byron Bay, and I know um from experience of working in, in the police over here in New South Wales, at Byron Bay is a very iffy area because a lot of people who frequent Byron Bay or work in Byron Bay actually live on paper in Queensland and vice versa. Um, and so that particular border is a very precarious one, especially when there are border closures, because a lot of families can be divided between employment and residence and stuff like that. Now you're obviously in Queensland. did you see um, more on a personal level the effects that that particular border closure had on families? And I guess it could be the border closures in general. Uh, a lot of people have suffered in various different states, but I just I remember a really nightmarish video that emerged around Father's Day um, of the Byron Bay Queensland border where families there were those orange barricades across certain border lines and there was a town that's like pretty much Queensland but technically classified as New South Wales and families were having to hug over these borders and they weren't actually allowed to see each other in person. There's another video where they were passing uh, blood bank bags, like over, like nurses passing them over the barricades. It was just this dystopian nightmare scene that was coming out from the Queensland, New South Wales border. Did you witness any of that yourself, or did you speak to people um, who may have experienced that personally? And what kind of things were you getting um, fed from people in that particular area at the time over that issue?
0: Well, you've spoken about those things, uh, and they definitely happened at Coolangatta Tweed Heads, and it was yeah. it was interesting because we did see people hugging over the border, and clearly mm. the Queensland police just went, oh, "This is too hard." You know, good on them in a way because it was stupidity, you know, writ large. But look, I I got contacted by a number of people. Um, you know, I've got a web my own personal website, and they knew that I was a you know a prominent figure, and they were contacting me. Tr- begging for help. So for example, Mm -hmm. there was a a gentleman from one of the the cities to the north of uh, Brisbane up the coast, I think it was Bundaberg, who had gone to visit um, uh, relatives down south, I think it was uh, in Sydney. And then while they were away, the rules changed, they couldn't get back into Queensland, they were paying rent at their house in Bundaberg. Um, but they were stuck in Bar. I had other people who were literally sleeping in their cars at the Bar Showgrounds, and yeah, you know, they were Queenslanders. They needed to get home. But in contrast, people who had the means to fly into Queensland, say take a plane from Sydney to Brisbane, they could get in. It was bizarre. Now, I just want to be really clear because about what I'm about to say, I thought. Uh, the Palaszczuk Labour government were incredibly brutal and uncaring. I never thought a Labour government would do it to people of very limited means, very people who were not well off. Mm. But by the same token, our prime minister, the Liberal Party guy, just just never called this stuff out. And it it happened between other states as well. Just outrageous that you couldn't get into your own state. What should have happened? Well, we should have said, yeah, okay, if we're going to have... Lockdowns. If there are areas of issue, then we we should have been dealing with the, the the cases that we had in those areas. That's what these damn QR codes were meant to be about. But we still needed to keep our country going and allow people to to travel and to see loved ones. I mean, the, the matriarch of my family, uh, my my aunt, died in 2020. Yeah, I should have been there to speak at a funeral uh, south of Sydney at Berry. Yeah, didn't go you know my, you know, my dad's mum my dad passed away many years ago my dad sorry my dad's sister and she yep, died yep. I should have been at the funeral and um, you know so we felt it ourselves it's just just ridiculous
1: yeah and for people who might not understand the role of the federal government you mentioned Scott Morrison how he hasn't been saying much he hasn't been calling out the state premiers A lot of people are kind of saying, why isn't the Liberal government, the federal government, you know, Scott Morrison and his party, why are they doing nothing when these state premiers are closing down borders, when the state premiers are putting such draconian measures for COVID? And are you able to shed a little bit of insight as to what the dynamic is between the state premiers and the federal government and if the federal government could actually do anything or whether these states are quite autonomous in nature?
0: Well, on the, first, on the surface of it, the states are, uh, uh, have this autonomy that I guess people, and right. you know, I said it earlier on, didn't really know because, you know, over the last sort of 90 to 100 years since Federation, the federal government's got more and more and more powerful and things that originally were the responsibility or the prerogatives of the state have been sort of taken over by the Commonwealth. But then this has happened and we suddenly find this situation. So one of the reasons I particularly or a catalyst for me leaving the Liberal National Party here in Queensland, which is you know, basically the Liberal you know, the Liberal Party, affiliated with the Liberal Party, uh, was because of S- Scott Morrison. Because time and time again, everyone over the last two years, he's never stood up on matters to do with freedom and democracy. Um, you know, he never called out. You know, police are uh, firing uh, batten rounds and using pepper spray on mm. protesters in Melbourne or terrible scenes what well, now alleged, I, sh- I suppose I should say, where a police officer is alleged to have brutally treated uh, a protester at Flinders Street Station. That's now going to be before yeah. the courts. So he never spoke up on that. And when there was a legal challenge over the closure of the WA border and it was being going to be chang- challenged in the High Court he squibbed it. He pulled out of that action. So, what could he have done? Well, Evelyn, there's a number of things that the prime minister could have done and could still do on some of these matters, and, and you might want to talk about vaccine mandates in a moment. But he 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 could have um, you know you, he could have uh, been involved in high court challenges for this and said that the restrictions were you know the, the closure of borders were was um, uh, over the top. He could have used the power of the dollars. I mean, the federal government have all the taxing powers. They get pulling Mm -hmm. most of the money in this country. And he should have just had the courage to say, listen, this is one united country. It is not going to be fragmented in this way. We're not going to have families separated. I will take you on in the media. You have to open up. And if you do not, there will be financial sanctions uh, and we will hurt you. Now, I can tell you now, I've been a Premier, and they didn't call it National Cabinet, then they called it um, the the Council of Australian Governments. But I can tell you now, I've had both, you know, Labor and Liberal Prime Ministers essentially put the pressure on myself and other Premiers, if we don't do certain things, we're going to suffer financially. So they could have done that. And the final thing is they could have wheeled in laws into the Parliament uh, and challenged the Labor Party, Anthony Albanese, well, look, we need to do this in Australia's interests. You better back it. And if, he, if, if he'd failed then, well, he'd at least he'd tried. But he's never tried, and he really hasn't had the ticker or the leadership to, to stand up to them. He's let them run all over the place, and you know, they've made a mockery of his national cabinet.
1: Yeah, I think he's really um, alienated his voter base. I think people who would have voted for him or a Liberal government, he's completely alienated us. He's made us feel like he doesn't care how we feel, what we think, um, the impacts that all of this is having on our families, all whilst appeasing to probably a voter base that will never likely vote for him at all. So he's really kind of um, hurt himself, I think, with his response to the pandemic.
0: Try try, try this. Try this. (laughs) I started my involvement with the Liberal Party in 1975 at the age of 12. I've told everyone how old I am. When Moses uh, was a child, yeah, yes. exactly. So <laughs> I'm, going to be, I'm going to be 59 this year. Um, so, and I've been a, a Liberal Premier and a Liberal Lord Mayor and mm. I'm over it and I'm gone because they don't stand for anything more. They don't, if you look at the Liberal Party website and see what they're meant to be about, they're meant to be about small business uh Uh, freedom of choice, individual responsibility, personal responsibility, uh, balanced budgets, low debt. It doesn't matter what you look at, they've blown that all to smithereens, and I just walked. So there's a lot of people like me, and that's why I joined the Liberal Democrats.
1: I think what's... even more terrifying than people turning on the Liberals and things is that the Labor are using it as like a marketing campaign. They're using like, I guess, Scott Morrison's uh, terrible resume of his elected time. um, And they're kind of saying we're going to be, you know, the better alternative. But if you actually look at the policies of the Labor government, that's an even worse uh, beast. (laughs) That's an even worse devil. Yes,
0: yes, it is. And I've got to be crystal clear, and I don't know how the, if this makes sense, but I, I I don't want Anthony Albanese to be the Prime Minister of the Labor Party to get in, particularly uh, with the Greens who've got a very extreme policies. Yes. Um, you know, we've got high taxes in this country. We actually do. Mm. We've got a great welfare system because we have higher taxes, but the idea of even more taxes, uh, which the Labor Party essentially are proposing, is crazy. But th- the trouble we've got here in this election that's coming up is that um, if we keep voting the same way that we always have, mm. we're going to get more of the same. We've got to get rid of the political hacks, the people who've never had a real life and real jobs. Uh, and I guess I'm advocating for people, if you don't want to vote for us and the Liberal Democrats, of course we'd love you to, but look, look at your voting choices. Pick people that you've really researched. Pick people who who will stand up and serve you. Pick people who are not in those major parties uh, certainly put the major parties last in terms of your voting, you know, mm. sort of preferences. And, you know, that's what we'd urge people to do. If you're going to get change, otherwise you just get more of the same. You know, we, we do need the Liberal Party to understand they they haven't done what their values say they're about. So that's, mm. that's beyond dispute in my view.
1: Yeah, I think now is the time for Australians to not just vote for those two major parties. Like I think that period of our lives needs to be over and I do think it is time for us to look more at independent minor parties, look at the policies that they're going to be implementing. We can't put our head in the sand and just vote for what our parents did. I, I did. I grew up with, um, you know, my parents saying always vote Liberal because they that back then it was the more conservative of the two parties. And, you know, um, that's just how it was. But I think as we can see, the last, you know, short modern history, we can't do that anymore because of where it has taken us. And where it's taken us is to full-blown soft socialism on borderline communism if we aren't careful. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to, before we sort of digress onto a few other things, I wanted to get your Views on mandates of the vaccine because Scott Morrison came out and sort of said we're not mandating a vaccine. There's no way we're doing that. And and he basically gave this awful speech where he said if somebody gets injured or hurt, well that's their fault because they had informed consent. And a lot of Australians and and I'm one of them is going. No one has had true informed consent. There has been censorship around um, lots of health options that we can take. There's been censorship around what doctors were allowed to listen to and not allowed to listen to and then we've pretty much had a figurative gun pointed to our head and say if you don't take the shot you will lose your livelihood you won't be able to provide for your families there won't be a roof over your head and you'll basically be homeless etc etc so what's your view as a politician on these mandates and where do you kind of sit ideologically with that
0: the the vaccine mandates are totally and utterly unacceptable they're you know they're they're un-Australian uh, they're draconian and the idea about segregating people out uh excluding them from society or even you know excluding them from being out of work and you know have a have a job yeah it's just extraordinary and again two and a half years ago if you'd said that would happen in this country i'd said you were mad if you i'd have also said uh that uh you know australians wouldn't stand for it but sadly uh there's there, yeah yes there are plenty of voices um like you and i but uh and my colleagues but yeah, there's not enough, and I don't think people realize what that this is the thin end of the wedge. So, I'm against the vaccine mandate, and this is why. If having a COVID vaccine meant you couldn't catch it and certainly couldn't transmit it that's the key point couldn't transmit it then there starts to be a greater good argument that you know, if, if we get enough people with a shot, then we will stop this dead in its tracks. But we know now absolutely would be on dispute that people can get it, um, they will get it even though they've been vaccinated and more importantly, they will carry it. So at that point, the va- what is the vaccine really achieving? The vaccine is achieving one for the individual um, uh, a level of protection, that's my position, but it also, in terms of what's really going on with the premiers and the prime ministers, they think it will take pressure off their hospital systems. So that's why they're doing this. Morrison has been, frankly, dishonest. He has written to constituents. You know, you're in Sydney. Um, you know, I've seen letters to people in Caringbah where he's actually said this won't be compulsory. But really, what he's doing is he's waving through the premiers doing it. Yeah, you know, it. So that that is just dead wrong. He's just playing a, a frank, essentially a duplicitous game. There are side effects of these vaccines for some people. I've had AstraZeneca. You know, I had a pretty significant reaction when I first got it, but I was happy with that. I thought, well, this thing's certainly working, isn't it? But my wife's had ongoing issues from her shot, okay? So, mm-hmm. you know, and I know I know a young woman who's 21, comes from uh, south of Sydney, um, who runs marathons incredibly fit. She she had, um, had heart issues and had to go to intensive care seven days after a second Pfizer shot. I, I had a business associate who was 42, who had a stroke three weeks after his second Pfizer and he's now dead. Now, you know, uh, there, there are people who sadly have had health impacts and the, 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 the outrageous thing is that, again, I think the system, the bureaucrats and the politicians have sought to go, no, nah, it's effective and safe. Well, it's arguably reasonably effective, but is it totally safe? Well, that's for an individual to decide. That's what informed consent is about. So I, I think I've sort of made the point for you where I stand. But the final thing is, I mean, I, you know, I, I object to sort of combining it in the the, the, the the app. I won't use the Blooming Check-In app to do this. But, you know, I object to having to waive this at a restaurant to get in. Like that That's a health record. Three years ago, I said to someone, you'll have to show your health records to someone who's not your doctor. Again, they would have laughed at the idea and said how unacceptable it was. All these civil liberties people, mm. where are they? Totally silent. So it's wrong. It's got to stop. And again, we've got to send a message to people who've, who've in, implemented this, imposed it upon us, that it's not on, Evelyn. We've got to stop it in its tracks.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, you said it's to protect yourself. Um, And a lot of people use that as the argument, you know, if you protect yourself, you're going to protect the hospital system. You're not going to have it, you know, full of COVID patients and it's not going to, you know, we're not going to be overreaching our capacities in hospitals, et cetera, et cetera. But I like to remind people of a very simple fact. If you look up the amount of people admitted to hospital every day for alcohol related diseases, it's 431, across Australia every single day who are admitted to our hospital systems because of alcohol induced disease or trauma or injury and I've got to ask a question you know um, which who, who's more selfish because we're not allowed to talk about the other things that are clogging up our hospital systems smoking alcohol um, we're not allowed to talk about drug use you know we're not allowed to talk about, obesity and and other health things that one could deem as a selfish choice um, and so it's it's uh, encouraging hearing politicians sort of take personal responsibility like yourself and say it's your personal responsibility to take care of your health and what you deem as something essential for your health or not so um, yeah I thank you for sort of clarifying your position on that yeah, um,
0: just, can I just add one other thing too yeah. and this is, goes back to what we were talking about earlier on about people being set against one another. I mean, it's like this, Evelyn. Yeah, mm. I've been so sad. Like I was getting, you know, get a wonderful haircut every fortnight. <laughs> and uh, talking to my my uh my barber who was taught talk- and who 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 has had some real health conditions and and cancer and he hasn't had the shot, but he's had people in his extended family not warn him around because mm. he hasn't had the vaccination. Me. And it's like as like and I'm going to him, well, look, mate, It's a, I don't care that you're not. I'm sitting in his chair. I've had my shot. I've got the best protection, in my view, against uh, COVID. I don't care if he's been vaccinated or not. Why would I care? It's, not, it's got nothing to do with... Mm. It's, like, it's like me turning around on the beach and going, hey, mate, put sunscreen on so I don't get skin cancer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think... If, if something fails your basic pub test, it's a pretty good indication that logic and reason is, is, is fleeting from that particular rationale. And that's much of what we're sort of seeing. The conversations that we're having, like you, it's common sense, but people seem to ignore it um, and p- replace it with fear. They're just dictated by fear. And I think the mainstream media and the government, the politicians, they're like, Propagating so much fear into the Australian people right now, but I liked what you sort of mentioned about the division, and I hundred percent i I can see how the government divides people. A bad government, how it divides people. You've got children who are against their parents because of climate change how could you do this mum and dad you've got kids against their parents who parents might not want to get them vaccinated just yet how could you not let me see my friends mum and dad you've got straight versus gay you have black versus white you've got cisgender against transgender like if you look around everywhere there is just so much division in every single sort of category of, of topic but When I was reading through your Freedom Manifesto and there were sort of 10 points in there, all I was thinking was, this isn't about division at all. This is about all of Australians coming together. And I actually really liked some of the subjects that you mentioned in that Freedom Manifesto. And I thought to myself, this is common sense politics, which is what we're all looking for right now. And I thought, you know, obviously it's hard to go through every single one of those 10 points, but if you had a few in there that you wanted to sort of touch on that you think are really important that the Australian people need to hear, I just thought I'd sort of leave that open and see if you wanted to talk. I know you mentioned um, superannuation, you you mentioned tax, uh, you mentioned the COVID sort of response and, and education. I don't know if there are some of the things you wanted to touch on, but I thought I'd leave, it, leave sure. the floor to you.
0: Okay, well, thanks for that. And perhaps I should just describe what the Liberal Democrats are really about philosophically. So we're libertarian. Uh, we perhaps rather cheaply say we're the real liberals compared to the Liberal Party today. <laughs> What's a libertarian? Well, a libertarian is a person who believes that they want government out of their lives as much as possible. You know, that we all as individuals have, uh, uh, you know, inalienable rights to be, be free, to live our lives as we wish, as long as we don't impact on other people. Uh, and that's sort of a, that's one of the key tests. And so we, we, we're we about small government, small government interference, minimal government interference our lives. We're about balanced budgets, low debt, low tax. Uh, we're about letting people make their own decisions about, um, how their money is received, if I can put it that way. And we might come back into that in a sec. And you know, that's why you know, we're about low tax. Um, the interesting thing, though, so those, those are sort of often seen as being you know, conservative or right-wing things. But when it comes to sort of social issues, we're actually progressive. So, um, you know, we're not, you know, we're, we're again, if you think about it, we're, we're, we're saying, we don't want to tell other people to live how to live their lives. We don't people. We don't want people telling us how to live our lives. So, for example, we back we back gay marriage. And when I, by the way, when I was you know the liberal the Liberal National Party leader of the opposition in Queensland um, back over ten years ago, it was eleven years ago I think it was. Yeah, I I publicly backed gay marriage. And in those days, leading figures of the Labor Party like Petty Wong wouldn't even dare say that publicly because it was such a you know, such a scary thing to say for a politician. So I've been on that for a long time, voluntary assisted dying for people who, who have got terminal disease. So yeah, I've been a big supporter of that. So we're, 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 we're progressive on social issues, but on, on money matters, it's about, you know, uh, you know that personal responsibility and keeping government out of our lives. So just to touch on some of the things you were saying, um, tax. We're advocating um, reform to the tax system. People may or may not really appreciate this, but at the moment, Australians pay relatively high marginal rates of tax. So very quickly, people on you know earnings of you know $80, 90 thousand dollars, you know, and and you know there's plenty of people out there now who are starting to hit those levels. Even less well paid people are starting to get 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 up there. You start to be paying large amounts of tax. But then what happens is the government gives you says, oh. You need a supplement for your family here and you need an allowance there, and we're going to give you a subsidy here. But what does that really mean? That allows politicians to big note themselves and actually pretend they're giving you some great deal. The other thing, little little stunt they pull is they say, we're going to give you a tax a tax cut. Really, what they're doing there is they're adjusting due to the well with inflation you know, people's pay packets gradually go up and they get into higher tax brackets. And all they're doing then is readjusting the tax brackets to give you a little, back, a little bit back. But i tell you, now they don't give it all back. So we're saying there should be a 20% flat tax. All those allowances and things should be going. And the tax-free threshold should be $40,000. So you don't pay any tax until you go over 40 grand and then it's 20%. And it's a simplification, which means people stop trying to fiddle with, you know, their tax and their reported income and, and trying to minimise their their tax through all sorts of dodgy means. You know, like I mean, any person in, in business will try and keep their income, their own income down below $180,000 because they don't want to go into the highest tax bracket. And so they'll bend over backwards to structure their affairs so they don't have to do that. That's a lot of energy can't taken out of the system, if I can put it that way, which could be put into more productive things. So that's an that's example of tax. Um, you mentioned education, Evelyn. We're saying there that parents um, should be the ones who get the funding for their kids. So let's examine that. With the National Disability Insurance Scheme, someone who's got a disability gets a funding package. And the whole system works on the basis that they'll have their funding and they get to decide who's going to provide them the care that they need. So why not with education? give the parents like a voucher for each child. And then the parents can decide what school meets their needs and uh, how how essentially they want their kids educated. We don't want to see the continuation of the national curriculum because we think it's ended up being manipulated and rigged by certain political interests. Uh, We think schools should obviously have certain benchmarks and quality um, requirements. But at the end of the day, you know the schools and the parents being intimately interested in the operation of those schools should be calling the shot. So there's an example example there. Mm.
1: Yeah, these are all issues that everyday Australians want to hear what politicians are thinking about because there are issues that we have been feeling for a long time. I mean, you look at our education, it's been going down, but there's been more money in our education system than there ever has in our, in our lifetime. So you've got to sort of ask questions around these things, climate change. I'm just going to hit that one on you. Mm. Where do you sort of stand on that issue? Because we've got Albanese who is basically saying by 2050, we're going to have completely, mm renewable energy no coal and then you have Scott Morrison who has said coal is good and he's taken in a piece of coal to parliament and said don't be afraid of this (laughs) but then he's backflipped on the recently and kind of he's taking more of a an approach edging towards Albanese and I almost think they're they're both headed in the exact same direction they're just at a varying degree of degeneracy right now with it so where do you sort of stand on that issue
0: Well, look, I was the mayor of Brisbane, as you said at the beginning, um, for a seven-year period. And during that period, I was extremely green and I believed in um, taking action on climate change. So, for example, there's 5,000 kilometres of road in Brisbane and you imagine all those streetlights and the council's got significant operations and I moved us to a position where we only bought renewable energy, right? Right. Um, That's an example. We planted two million trees and we had a very big uh green program encouraging people to save uh, electricity and water in their homes so i guess i put it like this i've drunk the kool-aid but today i've become quite skeptical and the reason i've become skeptical is that i told you how old i was before i've seen all the stories so i've got you know i won't bore your viewers today with with this but i can pull out articles from the period 1987 through to 1992 And all these things that were meant to happen by now, half a metre high sea level, um, no snow in the Australian Alps, no skiable snow, um, the the temperature rise, uh, the the, the end of, um, uh, I suppose, uh, agriculture, like all sorts of predictions. And I then look at the predictions today And the same language is being used. The trouble was the predictions from 1987 to 92 haven't come true at all. I mean, the glaciers, for example, that went to gone aren't there anymore. So I guess I've become skeptical and I think it's really dangerous for Australia to unilaterally in in a a way, um, although I acknowledge other countries are doing some pretty crazy stuff as well, but to actually say we're not going to export coal anymore or we're going to get away from gas It is ridiculous. If Australians want to do that, really, they need to understand it is going to cost them more and their lifestyle and their standard of living, ultimately, it could drop. It is going to be expensive. Like moving to electric vehicles, love to have one. Evelyn. love to have one as the second car. But you know what? For quite a while now, they're going to be very expensive. And we're going to be digging holes all over the planet, particularly in Australia, to dig up the copper and the nickel and the rare earths and, and you know get, getting the lithium, et cetera, to actually do this stuff. So everything we do as human beings has impact. So I'm really concerned about that. And the major parties, again, are selling us out. Um, we need to continue to mine coal and export it because there's developing countries who need it. We need coal to uh, produce steel for automobiles for ships, for the towers of wind generators, you name it. So, you know, that in itself is is, is crazy when politicians start talking about that. Um, I'm an advocate of nuclear power and I'm an advocate for nuclear power and it fits into this because if you are a true environmentalist and you, and you really believe in carbon emissions as being a problem, then here's zero emissions. Yeah, but it's yeah. also, from my perspective, it will provide cheap, reliable baseload electricity, and, you know, that's the way we should go. So one final point, look at at what's happening in Germany right now. Germany uh, had this sort of essentially a populist movement where the politicians listened to their community and progressively shut down the coal industry, but they also shut down the nuclear power industry. And now they're getting a huge amount of their energy requirements from Russia via gas. Hmm. So that's that's a dirty secret. And now, you know, they're at the, the mercy of essentially someone who's the dictator of Russia, and there's all the stuff with Ukraine. So, you know, like, let's be grown up about this. If we want to live the lifestyle we live, if, if we want to have the things that we have, the you know, the the, the benefits, then they come, it comes with downside as well. And we've got to be grown up about the debate. We can't just say... We're going to go net zero and trash our jobs and our economy. And a long answer, I'm afraid. Uh, but I am skeptical as well about why we're actually doing it. I'm happy to have still have a, you know, well, could there be an issue, but you know, sort of a, a approach. Uh, but I, I just think the, the cost to Australia is immense the way we're going.
1: Mm. It's interesting that nuclear energy is almost like a dirty word. You're not really allowed to talk about it. It's a very sensitive subject, and a lot of people just want to know why isn't this being um, addressed or or debated or have have more of an objective discussion around the matter. And a lot of people say money, and there's a lot of other theories out there, but. Yeah, it does seem to make sense, um, especially from both sides of the political spectrum. If you're an environmentalist or if you're a libertarian or conservative, whatever it is, it seems to work for everybody, yet it's not being properly spoken about. Now, you sort of mentioned before and how... We're ex-
0: and we're exporting uranium to multiple countries in the yeah. world. We dig it out of the ground here. We've got a lot of it, but yeah. we can't use it here. And, by the way, just mm. so you guys know this, it's actually banned... So often you'll hear opponents of um, nuclear saying, oh, it's too expensive, it won't work, it doesn't stack up. Well, I've got a very simple response to that. If I become a senator for Queensland, Evelyn, I'm going to put it into the Parliament a Private Members Bill seeking to overturn the ban. And the ban hopefully goes, but there can be a debate. And then if the private sector with appropriate safeguards can go and build one, if it stacks up, they'll go and do it. If it doesn't stack up, if renewables are better and reliable and cheaper well, fine, that, that's where we go. I just don't want an, a, a, a non-level playing field and, and seeing nuclear ruled out.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned before um, that you, you're quite libertarian, um, you're quite, uh, I guess, conservative around economic issues, tax and things like that, but you're quite progressive with social issues. I, I, I would say I'm definitely not a libertarian. I would say I'm probably socially conservative as well as economically. But I do appreciate having discussions with people like yourself, especially Australian politicians, because it feels like no one fits any side, whether you're economically conservative or whether you're socially conservative, libertarian, whatever it is. It feels like there's just nowhere for any of us to kind of fit right now. But that kind of would lead into my my next sort of question to you, which is, where do we go from here? Because there are so many Australians like myself who are like, I just don't know what to do. Mm. I'm not happy with really anything right now. And I do not want to get back here ever again. I, do, I never want to be in a position where my basic human rights are being dictated by these tyrants who are premiers, who are politicians. And yeah, like, what do you see as the future for Australians and do you think that we can get ourselves out of this mess and how
0: well I suppose you're in New South Wales and I don't know when you will put this to air but in the next few days from when we're talking right now there's going to be well actually tomorrow there's going to be some by-elections in, in Sydney um, in New South and uh, you know people can um, you know, go to the ballot box and start the process but that's what it's really about the big thing's the federal election Evelyn And I've sort of said this already, but again, it's worth reinforcing. If we keep doing the same things, uh, we'll get the same result. Every voter has a responsibility as a citizen to think about their vote really carefully at this election. Um, I'd ask people who are watching this to just go away and look look at the track record of the person who's representing them now. So their local federal member, how they conducted themselves during this. Look at the the Senate lineup in their state, how those senators conduct themselves. Look at the candidates, look at the minor parties as well. Um, Try and understand what the policies are, really get to the bottom of it. The information's there. We just got to go and do a bit of research uh, and then pick the people that you want. Pick the people that you've vetted, that you think are appropriate and represent your values. That's what I really start with. It really should be about values. Sometimes politics is pretty difficult. You do have to compromise. Let's be very clear. Plenty of times I've had to in politics. Um, so politicians do have to duck and weave and, and 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 do deals. Like otherwise, nothing would happen. But fundamentally, values are what keep people on a straight and narrow. Like if you, at the end of the day, you've got to get over there. You know, the the, the person you really want is a political representative is someone who knows where they want to get to and will be true to the things that you you believe in so there are a number of minor parties there's the liberal democrats there's united australia party there's um, one nation there's uh, family first uh, shooters and fishers Um, you know there's a range of people out there look at them particularly and i'd say to people decide who you want and then come up with a way that you want to vote on election day in your local lower house seat in the House of Representatives and also in the Senate. And, you know, you, 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 it's your vote. Those how to vote cards that are handed out. They're just recommendations. The parties don't control where those preferences go. So you get to decide. You get to mark. You're the person marking the bit of paper. Um, I just encourage people to think, right, this is the my, the batting order. And again, I'm recommending people put um, the, the Liberal Party, um, the National Party, uh, the Greens and the Labor Party in the bottom you know, number of choices. So if you've got you know, to vote, you've got a, if you've got nine candidates on the ballot paper, your last three or four are going to be the major parties. That's the way you'll get change. And if the person in the minor party that you really wanted doesn't get up, at least somewhere down that betting order, someone who you wanted, you know, as, as your sort of next choice will ultimately get up. That's the way the system works. Often I say this because often there are, you know, there are people who are confused about, they think the party somehow get to decide. They don't. It's your vote, your choice.
1: Great advice. I think every Australian needs to do exactly that. Look at the policies, look at the person who you want to vote for, and stop voting for those major parties once and for all, because we're just going to be on this never ending cycle of being back to the same place if we keep doing the same things and keep making the same mistakes as we have before. I do think Australia is ripe for a political revival. I think that we are ripe for a huge reformation of our politicians. And I think, you know, we're kind of hungry for something alternative, so it's the perfect time for these minor parties and independent parties. And I, I just want to, you know, I, I could talk your ear off about uh, many issues, but I might leave it at that today because of the timeframe. But I do really appreciate you coming on for being um, bold in in your stance on things and kind of not shying away from some of the tough questions. And, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and for your service to our country as well.
0: Thanks very so much, Evelyn. One just final thing I should have said as well, the other thing you can do, of course, is you can go, you might choose to join one of those parties that I mentioned and work from within and, and, and try and actually achieve the outcome. But look, thank you so much for having me today and uh, really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Thank you.